From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. Good to have your company. Welcome to the final day, would you believe, of the first month of the year. That's the date already where I'm broadcasting from in Australia. Where did January go? Where did it go? Now, a lot of people who are in cold climates like right now are probably saying, well, hang on a minute. It can go as fast as it wants because it's too damn cold. I get it. But we are in the middle of summer down under and we appreciate the heat. We revel in the heat. So a little bit slower, please. That would be appreciated. Have you noticed, though, that people who complain about the cold end up in the middle of summer complaining about the heat as well? Why did they do that? You can't complain about both. Um, some people are great fans of the in-between seasons. I get it. I get it. But um, maybe we should be uh, less offended by what the weather gods dish up to us. In this edition, what's this US presidential election campaign all about? Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you haven't. Is it all about Trump and the damage he could cause? That's what you hear from Democrats. Is it all about prices, border strife even? Well, I will put an argument to you today that argues that all of that is part of what needs to be considered when before you make your, before you cast your vote. But um, I don't think it's anything to do with any of that. I think there's one sole reason that people have to sit down very carefully in the United States and think, about who they are going to put in for four years. And I'll explain why in just a second. There's also a presidential rumour that, well, won't go away. What do you think the rumour could be? Um, further coverage of that rumour uh, in many, many newspapers right across the world today. I'll talk to you about that. Our line of liberty, LA's Brian McWilliams, is on deck on the program. We're talking about the woman who is poised to take $83 million from Donald Trump, and as you heard in the news, is throwing it around like confetti. She's starting to talk about what she intends to purchase with the money she may get, $83 million worth. Now, call me very, very um, stereotypical. Yeah, you can call me stereotypical when I say that is not the behaviour of someone who's been as traumatised as she told the court she was from being raped by anyone, let alone Donald Trump. I don't get it. Um, we'll also be talking about prices and inflation. There's plenty of new topics to jump onto, and none of that is going away. It's still one of the great American laments at the moment about what they can't afford and, of course, how much more inflation will bite. I will also today get a comprehensive analysis of what's going on in the Middle East from former Army Intelligence Officer Shane Healy. Um, will the US strike back soon and how will they do that? Has Hamas really been defeated in the Gaza Strip? And why do so many Israelis actually think that they will move into Gaza in the not too distant future? I'll play you a little bit of footage that you might find quite surprising. We've got our cyber and technology segment as well. Alex has got news on EV. She's got news on AI, 
how Apple is holding back a major project. And Elon Musk says he's now got his brain chip implant ready to go. Would you be prepared to get injected with a brain chip implant? Mm, I'm with you. So Alex is coming up this hour, sorry, next hour. And the politically incorrect Jim Ball is on the show today. We'll talk about the political staffers who think they're worth 20% more than what they're earning at the moment. True. And the local council snubbing our most respected navigator down under. And uh, although we've got a, a full dance card today, it's a busy program, always time for you and you can jump in at any time, be part of our conversations and you can do so on our talkback lines, you should have it all written down by now, just in case one day you must call and get something off your chest. You can do so from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting live on the global News Talk Network. TNT. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, I think it's fairly obvious to everyone who still cares that Republican candidate Nikki Haley is staying in this presidential race by the hair of her chinny chin chin. Uh, Not because she's going to win. No, I think Nikki is hanging around just in case one. Trump has a change of heart and chooses her as his running mate um, towards the back end of the year. That's possible, not probable, but possible. And then, of course, in five years' time, she's much closer to the top job. Or maybe the former governor of South Carolina still thinks Trump may lose, and if she stays in the race, it's Nikki Haley on everyone's lips as the last person standing within the Republican Party. Could be. Either way, I think she's wasting a time and short of something devastating, Donald Trump has the nomination in the bag. It is done. And so all the deranged left-wing mainstream media commentators, if you've been watching any of it of late, well, they think the best way to keep Joe Biden in power is to bag Trump endlessly, which they are doing right now, and, you know, put forward the fearful capabilities of what he could do to the Constitution, to the White House, to the Capitol, to Congress, and to America. You've heard them time and time again. They're like a broken record, aren't they? Uh, but let me fly this up the campaign flagpole for just a second. Is Trump's chaotic nature as a president and his trouble now with Democrat district attorneys, really the way to take him down? Is it really being talked about like it was when he ran way back in 2016, which seems like an eternity ago? No, I don't think it is. I don't think they're talking about Trump in that way at all. I think Americans are pondering something completely removed from Trump. They are wondering how the hell can a mentally, physically fragile Joe Biden run the US for another four years? That, to me, is the predominant voter angst right now. It was something one Fox News contributor raised only this week, and I nodded in frantic agreement. I think he's right. Outkick founder Clay Travis says it is all about a frail Joe Biden. 
75% of Americans don't think that Biden has the mental or physical fitness to be president of the United States. And so attacking Trump for anything ultimately takes away from the question that is being asked, does Joe Biden deserve another four years of president of the United States? Has he done a good job on the border? Has he done a good job on crime? Has he done a good job on inflation? Uh, do you feel in your own uh, trips to the grocery store that you are paying uh, substantially more and have less in your pocket than you did before he became president? Uh, and all of these things, not to mention war in Ukraine and war in uh, the Middle East right now, the death, unfortunately and tragically, that we just saw of three servicemen um, as a result of what's going on in the Middle East. Joe Biden has brought more chaos than, than Donald Trump ever did. And he isn't up to the job. Bullseye. Right on, Clay. Right on. I couldn't agree more. Why, why these, you know, ranters from mainstream media, these left-wing ranters want to pain Trump daily? You know, morning, noon, and night they're doing this stuff. It makes me laugh because I think they're on the wrong tran. Um, they just don't get it. They don't get what this election is about. It's Joe Biden's lack of mental acuity and what that has led to already. The conversations that I hear from everybody is just everything feels unsettled. And what Biden ultimately told America when he ran in 2020, remember he said the adults will be back in charge. I'll return normalcy to the White House. Does anybody feel like America feels normal today? Uh, and in nine months, a little bit over nine months, I think the reason uh, that Joe Biden is going to have incredible difficulty in getting people to show up and vote for him is because he's failed on all the promises that he made. Yeah, absolutely. And if you were having a close look at what Joe Biden has been up to, say, for the last 12 months, you couldn't go past what happened in September of 2023 as a moment in history when you came to the realisation that the President of the United States has lost it. Now, think about what happened back in September last year. Remember the press conference in Hanoi, a classic, when he was cut off mid-flow by his aides after yet another rambling and incomprehensible performance. Uh, and I hope that, uh, I think that uh, Prime Minister Xi, I mean, she has some, uh, uh, some difficulties right now. Um, Okay, increase the third world, the third world, the, the uh, global South's capacity to grow. If everybody in the world had a job they got up in the morning and wanted to go to and thought they, and they could put three spares on the table for their family, no matter where they live, the whole world would be better off. Uh, sorry. If, if they're in fact able to generate significant capacity to absorb, uh, to prevent carbon from being released in the air, that that uh, um, uh, pipeline, uh, that uh, railroad we're talking about going across from the middle, from India throughout the Middle East. So I have not, I have not given up at all on the notion that we're going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, how can I say it? Uh, I, I think. That was it. I think nothing. It even got worse. As a matter of fact, I'm still trying to work out what lying dog-faced pony soldiers are. That's what he said in that delivery as well. It got worse, but I could have played another two and a half minutes, but I, I feel sorry for the bloke. At that point in history, America lost 
a president. That was the time when he hit the wall, the very end of Joe Biden as president of the country. That was a man who showed that he couldn't even run the local Rotary Club, let alone the United States of America. Meanwhile, News Corp is reporting that speculation is mounting that former First Lady Michelle Obama, yes, that rumour, is preparing to run for president in a move that involves convincing an ailing Joe Biden to step down. A growing legion of Democratic strategists are reportedly eager for the rumoured plan to come to fruition. I bet they are. And if you're wondering what Biden's own colleagues are now thinking of his chances in November, all you had to do was watch Meet the Press on Sunday and see what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, had to say on the program. Bear in mind she had time to rehearse what she wanted to say, to be very pro-Biden, to be very pro-democratic. This was not a vote of confidence. I think we can certainly do more to be advancing uh, our vision. And I believe that we have a strong vision that we can run on. So AOC is not as blinkered as we all thought she was, because from what she said there on Sunday, in that prepared response to whether Biden could do better, it just shows that she thinks that Joe Biden is a dead man walking. This is TNT. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts. Uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured, in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted uh, a number of years. And only in the last three months are we scraping 100 on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. I like it when people identify themselves as new listeners or viewers. That is always a good thing because we need to convince you to stay here longer than a first introduction or maybe a second. Now, Stephen H has sent us a message on the chat box, which you can participate in on the website or the app, tntradio.live. And Stephen has said, uh, I'm listening in, Chris, for the second time this year. Stephen, you are most welcome. And please feel free to spread the word. Good to have your company. Well, on Friday, a jury ordered that former President Donald Trump must pay writer E. Jean Carroll, 
$83.3 million for calling her sex assault claim a lie. This is a defamation hearing. $83.3 million. E. Jean Carroll now says she plans to spend some of the $83.3 million won in her defamation case against Trump on something he hates. Bizarre, I would have thought, uh, response from a woman who, according to the court, has gone through hell. Let's bring in our regular Wednesday guest live from LA to discuss this and more. Brian McWilliams is Communications Director of the Libertarian Party, just happens to be America's third largest political party, I might add. He's a native Philadelphian, a comedian, an expert in public relations and communication, and can be heard on the weekly podcast, The Lions of Liberty, found at lionsofliberty.com. Brian McWilliams, welcome to TNT. Thank you, Chris. Remind me, I've got to really find a way to make Donald Trump hate my guts if E. Jean Carroll is going to be throwing me some of that $83 million. You know, I can I can find a way to be hated if she's going to throw some ducats my way. I'll strip for her. I don't know. Whatever it takes. I'm with you. $3 million would be just fine. $3,300,000 million, even. I mean, I'll take a pittance, literally a pittance, like what somebody would leave their butler if they were fabulously wealthy. That's what I'm willing to take. Yeah. But wow, I mean, that $83 million for a woman who was completely irrelevant, if we're being completely honest, out of the spotlight, uh, without this Donald Trump accusation, without the timing of it, without the Democratic uh, operating machine, which has paid for these law fees to even get this to the place where it was to be heard as a case, she would be absolutely relegated to the dustbin of history. And yet here we are. A jury in New York City predictably finds that Donald Trump, despite the fact that there was not enough evidence to actually find him guilty of a crime, is now going to be liable for $83 million. Because apparently, Chris, that's what she somehow would have earned at her age for the rest of her life. Somewhere, somewhere in the middle of $60 million, you know. <laughs> rubbish. Total and utter rubbish. How can the law be twisted so badly? All right, after winning it, you've got to see this. For those who haven't seen it, maybe you even missed what we played in the news. Let's play it again. This is Jean Carroll and MSNBC host Rachel Maddow, who reveled in this interview, um, and they couldn't control themselves. Have a listen. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Or, yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh, all right, all right, okay. That's a joke. All right, okay. That's a joke. <laughs> Okay. Although if if me fishing in France could yeah. do something for women's rights, I would take the hit. I don't know whether the lawyer there, Brian, was starting to get a little bit concerned about her jocularity, but she said, I think, twice. That's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, her facial expression, too, was um, she just wasn't on the same page as Carol. Um, that's not the behaviour and I might be wrong. Maybe it's a terrible generalisation. That's not the behaviour of a woman who's been through trauma.
I would agree with you. I think her lawyer sees that very plainly, that laughing, joking like that, being giddy. This is a woman who was allegedly saying that she was raped, that she was assaulted. And yet to laugh giddily like this, to just be joking about spending money to fly across the world. What do you want? What do I want? It's it's not in any way convincing. It's not how somebody would act in this. And you think, honestly, Rachel Maddow would know better. You'd think you'd want to treat this with a little bit more oh, do you uh, think? sobriety You're in kidding, some way, just right? Her. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's insulting, honestly, to the justice system. It's insulting to, I mean, this man, despite what you might feel about him, is still a former president of the United States and the presumptive GOP candidate this year to just be frivolously Referring to this in that way is insulting. Honestly, if I was a survivor of a sexual assault, if I was a rape survivor watching this, I would be furious. Yeah. I'd be absolutely furious. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. That's the point. And that's where some of the criticism has come in the last 12 to 24 hours, understandably. So as I mentioned in my editorial, a lot of the focus from that wing of mainstream media seems to be on Trump and what a mess he's going to make of the presidency. Um, and what capability he has to wreck the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. But I reckon they got all of that wrong. I reckon people are going to sit down, and Clay Travis got this right on Fox uh, about 48 hours ago. They're going to sit down and work out, can we actually vote for this fellow who's lost his marbles and put him back in for four years? There is no way Joe Biden is going to make it to the next four years. I mean, every single appearance... And you and I have gone through some of these previous appearances. You know, we're talking about the, the the Philippines. And now, of course, he's in Hanoi making just unbelievably confused, you know, losing his place remarks, referring to people in places that aren't there. And this is coming off an appearance where I believe he was at a brewery somewhere around the Great Lakes and just incoherently babbling. And the shocking thing to me, Chris, honestly, is that the Great Lakes speech, I mean, he divided, he literally just collapsed in on himself. He made some sort of half joke that made no sense. And the crowd loudly laughed and applauded. So while polling is telling you 75% of the Democrats and the public as a whole has no faith in Joe Biden as he is, as a you know 80 plus year old man clearly has mental issues in making it, they don't have confidence in voting him in, into a, a situation where he's going to be running for four more years. There are still those hardcore supporters that will live and die by Joe Biden. And it does not matter. It's plain and simple doesn't matter. But we'll see. There might be other contenders out there that he might be forced to step down. We don't know what, what the machine is doing behind the scenes. But I certainly think the concern there is very real and they have to start thinking about other options. I agree. I agree. I want to get back to the Carroll case and the boast about what to do with $83.3 million from the Trump empire. I've got Neil on our talkback lines who wants to make a comment about that. Neil, thank you for calling. Yeah, good day, Chris. How are we? Um, good, thank yeah, you. I just, that's good. Um, I'm currently driving back to Sydney on the Ham Highway from South Gippsland, spending some time. But just, Beautiful. just listening to that interview, I can't watch it, but just listening, I find that disgusting that she wants to just go and buy that money. She, that, that she's not hurt. She's absolutely not hurt, and that's a disgusting way to get on the TV and talk about how they're going to go on a shopping spree. You don't deserve that money. Yeah, but what about the lawyers? Like the lawyers have said to her during the trial, this is the way you've got to behave. These are the things you can say. These are the things you can't say. Well, they didn't coach her very well for her first interview after the decision, did they? 
Absolutely not. And and it just shows the integrity of the of, of the, the individual. It's disgusting the way she's carrying on. Yeah. That's I'll add this too. notice that too. Uh, look, it's a generalisation to say that rape victims are far more uh, sombre about any victory because the victory never takes away what they lost. It never gives them back what has been crushed. They're the responses that we are used to hearing, understandably so. Yeah, that's it. Now, now, it sounds like this this person's behaving like she's won the lottery. You know, she's just making a mockery out of it all. It's it's so wrong. All right, you keep your eyes on the road. Have a good trip. Yeah, I will. I will. Yeah, I'm almost. Thank you, Brian. Good on you, mate. Well, one thing, by the way, Chris, to add yeah. on to this topic is also when you look at her reaction, when you look at her laughing giddily like that, the, even the way she speaks, she comes across as somebody who's a little bit unhinged. She seems, she comes across as somebody that's not quite all there, that is frivolous, that's just kind of giddy in the moment, that's making things up. When you think about this person giving testimony, trying to record the the evidence of what happened to her, trying, she can't even remember the date that this yeah. is supposedly happened, this assault. Now you see her acting like this and you think this person was believable enough to a jury where they think that Donald Trump should pay her $83 million. It goes to show you, this is not based on evidence. There was no evidence that we presented or not that was going to change the outcome of this case. The case was decided as soon as it was, it was settled, as soon as it took place in New York City, and as soon as it was Donald Trump. That and much is very if you don't have a conviction for him doing it, how do you possibly have a conviction against him on defamation on a defamation basis? I don't get that. I just don't get that. It's a violation of First Amendment rights. You're telling me the president, a former president and the, and the nominee for the Republican Party can't defend himself against allegations without it being defamation. It's sheer insanity. Mm. And if Donald Trump can't do it, if a presidential candidate can't defend themselves against allegations that have zero evidence, as we've already already established, what's the point of even having a First Amendment? Yeah, Because and, anything you say can now be weaponized. And what hope do people like you have in that country? Absolutely none. Yeah, I mean, if if somebody on that level cannot defend themselves, if the basics of our constitutional right to free speech cannot be protected in such an obvious situation, I just have no idea. I have no faith in our constitution. I have no faith in the people protecting it or pretending to protect it. It's absolutely depressing. Well said. Well said. Got to take a break for news. We'll come back in a second, Brian. This is TNT. Now. I've got news for you. TNT Radio News. News flash. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. Hamas has confirmed it's reviewing a new proposal for a ceasefire in Gaza that would ultimately end the war with Israel. A woman who was awarded over $80 million for suing Donald Trump for denying he sexually assaulted her has been accused of making a mockery out of rape victims. And Pakistan's former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been jailed for a decade after being charged with exposing state secrets, claiming the US was complicit in his removal from office. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 
365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk. This is TNT Radio. I tell you what, Ms. Carol has ignited our little chat box, those who are commenting on some of the topics we're talking about on the program today. Uh, Pelly has written on the chat box, proudly wearing my TNT cap, um, she seems so traumatised from her alleged rape is a complete joke. Uh, River says, is this a parody? And Tom says, exhibit A in an appeal from Trump. Um, that kind of makes sense to me. Uh, another one here, uh, River says, uh, this has got to be a parody. Uh, and it goes on, that is disgusting, says Marguerite. Um, and there are other comments as well. I won't read any more, but that is the kind of reaction to what you heard all of a sudden after we've heard about the case itself and then followed the court case. When you get a reaction like that in a in an interview scenario, this is how people react because it's incongruous, which what they hear regularly from those who might win a major court case against their tormentor or their attacker, that is not the way someone who is grossly traumatised reacts. And uh, I'm glad we raised that today. Uh, President Biden, Brian McWilliams, uh, has just claimed he's done all he can on the border to address illegal migration. If that's the best he can do, find someone else to run the White House, I say. Yeah, absolutely. The fact remains that Joe Biden, in fact, is not enforcing our basic laws in any way when it comes to immigration. That's just a plain and simple truth. And as a libertarian, you know, typically it comes down to an argument of whether or not you have the rights to, to freedom of movement. But we have a situation where you have more people immigrating to this country illegally than you do citizens being born, right? We surpassed that. We've crossed that Rubicon. You have cities like Denver, which have been overrun with 40,000 immigrants, now putting limits on shelters and how long people can shelter specifically because they can't handle the influx. What and Joe miss. Biden is somehow arguing that he's done everything possible. I mean, it's just actually insulting to every American. And it used to be a bipartisan issue that's now apparently one that only Democrats are are for this open immigration. And uh, John Fetterman, oddly enough, has switched sides and, and is now a, a border hawk. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about another issue that will come up time and time again as we get closer to November. Prices. During a recent appearance on ABC News, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was asked about prices going back to pre-pandemic levels. Her response was that most Americans know that prices are not coming back down and it's not the Fed's objective to try to push the level of prices back to where they were. She's singing a very different tune to President Biden, who only recently, if we all remember, bragged about how much prices of various goods have come down and taking credit for that, Brian. What's amazing is that the stark reality of our world is settling in and there's just no gaslighting. There's no amount of PR propaganda. There's no amount of lies that Karine Jean-Pierre can throw out there that are going to hide the fact that people are pure and simple 
feeling it. The polling has shown us that, right? People have said empirically, I look around, I'm spending more, I'm feeling it, my pocket's feeling it. People are working more than one job to try to make ends meet. And then the Biden administration will turn around and tell you that there's more jobs being taken than ever before, as though, as though it's not people working more jobs for less money to try to make ends meet. Janet Yellen is uh, shockingly telling it like it is for once. And I think the American people have been through enough where they know that, yeah, prices are never going to come back down. It's impossible, especially with the Democrat and progressive push to increase minimum wages, to pay everybody a living wage, to make it $20 an hour to serve McDonald's here in California. Meanwhile, ushering in the era of robots named flipping. Mm. Yes. This is like they don't know when on one side of the equation that they're taking the credit for any kind of price reduction, um, although it's very hard to find one, uh, Janet Yellen tells the truth about the fact that they're not coming down and they can't possibly, when you've got a government who keeps adding to inflation, igniting inflation when they can by upping wages, not just the minimum wage, but others. Now, over three years ago, Brian, on January the 5th, 2021, a suspect planted pipe bombs near what the Washington DC, RNC and DNC headquarters, both party headquarters. This is the night before January 6 protests. Now, there are reports, as documented by Jim Hoft in the Gateway Pundit, that the operative who planted the bomb is a former government official. This is what was said overnight, but the FBI refused to interview that person. The implications of this are quite frightening, aren't they? Well, it seems like this has been covered up for quite some time. Thomas Massey shared the video here that you're talking about as well, where you see this suspect come up, you see the bomb planted, and then you see the FBI do nothing about it. They, you literally had an FBI agent go up, or I'm sorry, uh, one of the, the security agents, I think, that was working at the DNC, go up and take a selfie with the pipe bomb. That shows you that there was no fear involved. They let children walk by it. They had Vice President Kamala Harris in the office. It shows you that they knew this was not a threat. And now when we learn more about it, when we hear that this is happening, that this guy, they've got the license plate, they've got you know an ID, they've got all of these things that are falling into place to let you know that they seem to have known this was coming all along. Yeah. The fact that they're not arresting a man who they have a license plate for on video, plenty of the bump, and now we allegedly is a, a government, a former government employee. Well, it's all kind of falling into place, mm -hmm. that this is a false flag, that it's, it's designed to push forward the agenda of allowing us to follow a quote unquote extremist, to spy on people, to Correct. have social media companies work with our government. So yeah, all the pieces are kind of adding up here. Yeah, this should have been transparent right at the get-go. The fact that we are this far after the event and we still don't have anyone charged, it must make, you know, average Americans look back at what occurred on January 6 and think, we haven't been told half of it. That's what people must think. Now, according to a newly released FBI report, hate crime skyrocketed over a five-year period ending in 2022. Now, that's important that we note ending in 2022. So nothing at all to do with what's going on in the Middle East. And schools were the third most common location where such offences were reported. Uh, the FBI surely isn't concerned about our well-being. Well, it's this is one, Chris, I always question whether or not these reports are accurate, whether or not, because the problem They're now right. is the, the definition of hate crime yep. is so unbelievably broad as mm. far as what constitutes a hate crime, the interpretation of a hate crime. You know, it could be as something as simple as shoving a kid uh, that you don't, 
like, and it turns out to be a different race, or it could be something said in jest that's now taken and rocked out as a hate crime, a joke, or does kids say stupid things all the time? I mean, my God, the number of things I said, not even racial in any way, but just stupid things. Yeah. That now, through the woke lens, are going to be reinterpreted and classified as a hate crime. I mean, we're depending not on the FBI's criteria. We're depending on the school's criteria, Chris. And we know who runs the schools. And we know the incentives they have to try to divide us racially and try to get more funding to combat that quote-unquote racial hatred. So it benefits the schools to have the FBI note this. Yeah, it's a clever and cautious way to look at it. I think you might be onto something there. Now, in a decision that you could describe as controversial, the Stanford Board of Education has voted to remove Columbus Day and Veterans Day from the list of school holidays requiring students to attend school on these dates. Talk about rewriting history. I, I can't believe the unions let them get away with it. That's a shock to me more than anything. You're telling me the teachers gave up two days of vacation? They never do that. <laughs> They're gonna. That's going to come back around somehow. They're going to go on strike again, get a new page. But no, I look, when it comes down to Columbus Day, history is history. I mean, as you're saying, and I can't stand when they try to eliminate historical figures based upon standards that we have today, mm -hmm. looking back at a time that was vastly more brutal, vastly more ignorant, just as far as you don't know what you're encountering. You don't know the intents of the people. You're not communicating with them ahead of time. You're not negotiating. You're going into a foreign land and conquest was what you did. Yeah, There was some trade, of course, but conquest was how things happened. And let's not forget the people that are being conquered and conquerors, they were conquerors as well. The Native Americans were just as concrete, just as violent as any other species that has ever lived, any other race that's ever been. So let's not pretend that we're so woke that we have to get rid of a, a historical figure. And then on the Veterans Day side of things, even me, who has the utmost hatred for the military industrial complex as it exists for militarism, for invasions, you're still talking about people Correct. who have put their lives on line. You're talking about people that lost mental capacity, that have PTSD, that have lost limbs, that have lost arms, that, that did fight for their country, whether or not they did it out of patriotism, out of uh, financial incentive, or out of desperation. The fact is, those people did get hurt. They have fought for the country. Let's give them a day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But you don't have an appreciation for history if you think that you've got to look at history through the current lens of, you know, not just wokeism, but the current lens of civil order, um, of, of expectation of society. If you start doing that, you don't have a clue what uh, the culture was like in those um, periods of time. You, you kind of haven't looked at history in the right way, have you? No, of course not. I mean, when you talk about the impossibility of learning from history, if you're looking back at it through this woke lens, because you're essentially saying whatever was done before now should be irrelevant. Yes. How can you learn from irrelevancy? How can you learn from a period if you're saying it doesn't matter because they were so ignorant and wrong? How are you supposed to learn a lesson? How are you supposed to take any lessons? How are you supposed to believe in any of the core principles that led us to become, let's say, in America, in Australia, as it is. And of course, that's probably the main design, right? You rip yeah. the culture down at the roots, you rebuild it in the uh, the George Soros model of, of globalism, where cultures themselves are ripped asunder, and we have nothing to bind us as communities, nor history yeah. to refer to. Yeah, well, if, if this kind of stuff continues, so you actually chop uh, Christopher Columbus off at the legs, let me tell you what's actually happened in Melbourne. Um, Captain James Cook was a navigator who came out 
1770 and is seen as the first white person to discover Australia. There is a monument, a major statue in Melbourne that has been angle-grinded at the ankles of Captain Cook, so the entire statue crashed to the ground. The local Mm. council say, oh, we can't afford to put Captain Cook up there. And as a matter of fact, he is rather offensive to many Indigenous people in our city council. So they don't intend to put him up. So in a a similar way, they might have chopped off Christopher Columbus from that uh, uh, having a a professional holiday or a public holiday. But at the same time, we physically don't think that we can respect someone who actually founded a place in very, very uh, far away from England. And we don't have the respect for the effort that he made to try and find this place. So we don't put his statue back up on the podium. It is disgraceful. Absolutely. And you think about what these people that are tearing down monuments, what have they accomplished with their lives? Yeah. And it's not an it's an infinitesimal fraction at best of the people that they're trying to tear down who did it in their far more dangerous, difficult, uh, harrowing circumstances. And yet they have to be torn down. Right. It's It's just ridiculous. You know, now you've just put a post on X that I wanted to raise before we let you go. Um, You were indicating on X um, the trends that liberal women have little interest in kids and are becoming vastly more progressive or at least progressive in their eyes. So what's happening here? Well, it's it's a poll that came out recently, and this is a poll not only in the U.S., but uh, I believe it's the United States, Korea, Germany and the U.K., and it referred to women as a whole getting far more progressive, far more leftist. Now, in the United States, that is a very stark increase. Of course, that's accompanying Roe versus Wade, where a lot of these women have been told, look, you're getting your basic constitutional right ripped away, which is not true because it was never in the Constitution. It always should have been a states' rights issue. However, it's driven women to embrace more progressivism. That You also pair that with women in the workforce choosing careers over having children, mm. You, which, by the way, is going to eliminate the wage gap. Very exciting. It's already pretty much eliminated, but it's really going to you know kneecap the Democrats and their talking points in that regard. Mm. But you have women essentially saying, look, we don't want to have kids anymore. We don't have an interest in it. You pair that with an economy, like pushing back the age you're going to have children. And a lot of women like to say, you know what? Now I don't feel like it. I'm too old. I've, I've got my career. I've got my life. So you're going to have a declining birth rate. We already had it over COVID. Now it's going to be plummeting. And if you're the Democrats, you're seeing this and you're going, who's going to be our voter base in the yeah. future? Like yeah, we're, we're breeding our, we're, we're our climate cultism, right? Because half these women are saying they don't want kids because how can you raise a child yes. when it's going to be boiling in lava, you know, <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're essentially ending their breeding ability. And thus you look at what's going on at the border, Chris, it makes complete sense because mm. they don't have a choice, but mm. to bring in outside votes to bring in, and it votes from people outside, by the way, who are going to have a lot of children who for two generations at least typically are going to vote Democrat before they wake up and they change their minds. So it's really interesting and it really falls into place, just like the pieces of the pipe bomber falling into place. When I saw that poll and the declining birth rates and the declining interest in children, I said, ah, there we go. There it's all you go. Sense. This is the answer <laughs> to that problem for the Democrats. And this is Absolutely. why they have done all they can to control the border, as he said in the last 24 hours. Hey, thank you very much for your time. Great to have you on the program as usual, Brian. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure, Chris. You always tickle my fancy, sir.
Good on you, mate. Thank you very much. Brian McWilliams, Communications Director of the Libertarian Party, and you can hear him on his weekly podcast, The Lines of Liberty. Got to take a break. We're going to look very closely at what's happening in Gaza at the moment. Uh, There are so many developments, and Shane Healy will unpack the real story right after a quick break on TNT. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. My name's Stacy. I'm 57, and I was adopted in 2020. We were adopted in 2019. And we were adopted in 2021. We had a house, um, and it sounds crazy, but it wasn't a home. The one thing that Jake and Emma brought is it became a home. When I met Dakota, he had just turned 14. You weren't there for the first this and the first that. I missed the first words, but we got a lot of other firsts. Watching her say, oh my God, I cannot believe I got my license. And she's like, I passed. And I'm like, girl. (laughs) See them grow. It is. They chose to love us. They didn't have to. They chose us. Family. You and you. Kids in the middle. What I thought was a complete life was nowhere near complete. (laughs) but it is now. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit adoptuskids.org. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, I guess it's small consolation, but I think it's worth noting when you consider that many, many Democrat attorneys general are attempting to wipe Donald Trump off the uh, polling map, and we saw it in several jurisdictions. But we're now seeing a little bit of a fight back from some, and as you may have heard in the news, out of Chicago, Illinois' election board on Tuesday kept former President Donald Trump on the state's primary ballot a week before the US Supreme Court hears arguments on whether his role in the January 6, 2021 attack on the US Capitol disqualifies him from the presidency. I cannot contemplate for one second that the Supreme Court would find against him and would ratify what some of these Democrat states have done to get rid of Donald Trump as a fair and just competitor in the race for presidency. But the board's unanimous ruling comes after its hearing officer, a retired judge and Republican, found that a preponderance of the evidence shows Trump is ineligible to run for president because he violated a constitutional ban on those who engaged in insurrection from holding office. But the hearing officer recommended the board let the courts make the ultimate decision. And I would have thought that was a very 
reasonable thing to do. Now, a pro-Iranian group yesterday stated it would pause its attacks on US troops in the Middle East. But word from the White House today is that whether this is some kind of olive branch from the Iranians, it doesn't matter. It won't change US plans to strike out at Iranian assets in retaliation for the killing of US personnel in Jordan. Meanwhile, an Israeli defence official claims that it's neutralised Hamas in Gaza. Neutralised. We'll find out what that means from uh, former ADF intelligence officer Shane Healy. Shane had two stents in the Australian Army and was deployed to Afghanistan twice, where among other tasks, he provided insurgent threat assessments to allied forces. In Australia, he's been part of the Tactical Assault Group, working on several real-time terrorist incidents. Shane Healy, welcome to TNT. Afternoon, Chris. How are you going? Very, very well. Israeli forces have killed three members of Palestinian armed groups in a hospital in the occupied West Bank. Now, we've got some CCTV footage I want to play in a second. It showed members of an undercover unit disguised as medics, and there were other civilians in wheelchairs with rifles raised. Have a look. Shane Healy, aren't hospitals supposed to be off limits? Yeah, and I've done a lot of research uh, overnight uh, on this. So in the Geneva Convention under Article 18, it strictly says when a building is being used as a hospital, it is off limits. And then Article 19 also covers this as well. So it's very um, very well documented and highlighted in the Geneva Convention. But the convention doesn't include the idea that possible terrorist attackers use those hospital premises as a hideout before committing an attack, which was what the Israelis alleged was about to occur. So while that is true, and we've discussed this several times on this show, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, even though, even when I was in Afghanistan and in Iraq, um, we knew that there were combatants in hospitals. We knew that there were caches. We weren't allowed inside those hospitals. There are certain rules of law, of war, that are uh, no-goes, and this is one of them. What if that was a neonatal unit that those uh, Israeli soldiers had to go past? What if there was security in there? What if a firefight or a gunfighting guy, uh, ensued and innocent nurses and doctors were uh, casualties? You just can't go into hospitals. That is interesting to hear what uh, has occurred beforehand in Iraq. Now, the Palestinian Authority's Ministry of Health accused Israel of carrying out a new massacre inside hospitals. Um, I've always wanted to ask you this, and it's a an open-ended question and probably requires a 10-minute answer, but I'll ask it anyway. What is the difference between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas in terms of their attitude towards Israel? Uh, nothing. In, in reality, nothing. They've got a slightly different political rhetoric. You know, it's like, what is the IRA and what is the new IRA type deal? But at the end of the day, they go back to the historical uh, version, which is Palestine for Palestinians, and we were here first. Mm. You know, it's it's a real um, uh, historical side, and that's where both sides claim their lineage to the ownership of that land. 
is that it was ours for X amount of time prior and therefore it was given to us, both of them by God, uh, which is um, their argument and it'll continue to be their argument. Okay. I want to ask you about what the United States will do now to retaliate following the death of those three soldiers in Jordan. When and how will that likely be? So I've been in touch with colleagues in the Middle East and in the US. Um, it, you'll hear about it after. They're not going to telegraph what they're doing. They've identified the group. The group has apologised. You know, Qatar, Hezbollah, they're backpedalling. Um, I had a fair bit of um, operations against them in 2015. Problem was, again, they were fighting ISIS as we were. So they became the Shia militia groups involved and in, in uh, involved in the Iraqi army. Um, and Soleimani was essentially leading that on the ground because both the Australians and the Americans couldn't have the kind of presence we had previously in Iraq and Afghanistan. So these groups grew in training, in techniques, procedures, weapons. Um, and now they've got, they know that, you know, you look at what's happening in Yemen, the Americans can really reach out and touch them if they want to. And um, I'll say I have no doubt in the next 24 to 72 hours, you'll see some significant retribution. You don't get to kill US soldiers. Directly on that group, those that attacked, not necessarily Tehran. Yep. Right. An Israeli official no, says no, it's... because this... Go on. So there's a strike cell, and we've discussed this previously in Baghdad, or a US um, CENTCOM annexed strike cell for US special operations. It's where we were based. Um, it's called the Baghdad Diplomatic Zone. It's like an annex of their embassy at the airfield. They're already conducting uh, operations against ISIS, which we've discussed previously. They're just going to reorientate that strike cell and conduct offensive operations against uh, Qatir Hezbollah uh, military forces. They're not going to get away with this. They, they don't need to go into Iran and attack Iran directly. Um, and there's that's why Iran's disting itself, saying it wasn't us. But at the end of the day, people really need to realise this is the role of the IRGC, the Quds Force, is to train proxy armies to conduct offensive operations in other countries on behalf of Iran. Mm. So they can say it was this group, they can say it was Hezbollah, they can say it was, you know, they funded Hamas, but at the end of the day, they are doing Iran's bidding. And at some stage, someone in the US uh, political system need to really own that, that, that problem set. Okay. I want to ask you about what this means. An Israeli official says it has neutralised Hamas in Gaza. What does that mean? He's going for comedian of the year. So, <laughs> like we discussed this last week, that they're trying to claim a victory that they don't have for, to win the operations war. You know, they're still upwards around 3,000 Hamas fighters inside of Gaza. The IDF are still taking casualties. Um, the latest statistics I got as of an hour ago out of that area, that 70% of the tunnels going into Gaza are still controlled by Hamas. Hamas still have hostages. So how can the 
Israelis claim any sort of victory while Hamas still have Israeli hostages. And I don't know whether I've missed the news, but have they literally extracted hostages from underneath the tunnels themselves um, outside of the pause in warfare? As in the Israelis? Yeah. No, no. And, And they would celebrate that because as we've seen previously, there's massive protest inside of Israel to end the war, to get the hostages out. So this is one of, um, Netanyahu is on a, uh, a, a eradication program and um, this is another board, another front, which we probably will discuss later. Okay, stay right where you are, Shane. I've got a number of things to ask you, including uh, a particular party that occurred on the weekend uh, and whether you could unpack it for us. Stay right where you are. We'll come back after the news and, and talk with Shane Healy further on Gaza. This is TNT.